You're listening to The Bloodline with LLS. We'll be joined by experts who will help us understand current issues and resources available to those diagnosed with blood cancer. Holidays and, you know, those things are, are, mean so much more now than they did prior to cancer entering our lives. This may potentially be a cure for some patients. We'll also be speaking with patients and caregivers who will share their cancer journey with us to better understand life after diagnosis and let you know you're not alone. Beforehand, my job was to earn a living for my family. My wife said to me, your job now is to live. And that's what I'm doing. I'm living my life the way I want to live it. And I'm really enjoying it. It's a much more fulfilling life. Everything that I knew, I didn't know anymore. That defense mode. We're survivors. Like, but they're probably not the questions that you want answered, so. Yeah, writing them down for us is important because of our chemo brain. Let's get started. Welcome to The Bloodline with LLS. I'm Alicia. And I'm Lizette. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode. Today, we will be joined by Pete, a leukemia survivor, and his wife and caregiver, Donna. Donna and Pete, uh, take us back to the week that you were diagnosed with APL, up until the day that you actually were diagnosed. How was life during that time, the things that you guys were doing, and maybe things that you were planning around that time? Okay, well, I'll start with this. Um, Acute leukemia is very quick and fast as it hits you. So at the time, I was working for fire rescue, and I just finished um, a nurse practitioner program. So I was in the process of working and studying for the board exams. And up until probably two weeks before I was diagnosed, everything felt normal. Uh, This, you know, just like a regular kind of day, you know, we work 24 hour shifts. So it's a little bit grueling, but you know, I didn't notice any difference. Um, I felt like a little bit of fatigue, maybe two weeks before, and I kind of brushed that off to being just studying and working, you know, studying for board exams. Um, however, and within about two weeks, I noticed a, a lot more fatigue, more than what I would kind of rule out as being for studying. And um, part of the things we do at Fire Rescue is some drills, which are pretty ri- vigorous and, you know, kind of hard to do. And um, I noticed I was getting really, really tired doing these uh, training exercises. Uh, which kind of concerned me, but I kept blowing it off thinking it was just for, uh, for stress for studying. And I think probably the week before, um, Donna and I would go out and do the yard, mow the grass. And, and normally, even though it's Florida and it's summer and it's miserable, you know, it was never a problem. We could do it pretty quick. It's not a very big yard. And I noticed that I would mow like maybe two or three rows and I was extremely fatigued, like on my knees, breathing heavily. Um, and again, you know, I, I, I kind of, brushed it off as being it's you know 100 degrees outside and you know I'm, and I'm tired from studying and everything else um, but then literally three or four days before I got admitted um, we did some drills and and I got to the point where I was so tired I was going to have to stop and I've never done that ever uh, for fire uh, training and so I started getting concerned because you know it's like well if, if there's something happens for real real fire I'm not going to be very good I mean, I'm, I'm actually dangerous to my, to my colleagues. Um, but I kept working uh, two, more, two more shifts. And um, the last, it was, it was uh, what, Tuesday, right? Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um, I worked a Tuesday. 
regular 24 hour shift. And I remember just, we are, we sleep upstairs in, in the, at the firehouse and just walking up one flight of stairs. I was, I was pretty gassed and uh, which is not right. So the next we were at a call, it was like around midnight and I talked to my partner. I said, you know, I think I got some kind of a, you know, I think anemia or something. I says, weird. I just feel tired. My legs are all tight and burning. And so literally got off work Wednesday morning, you know, I talked to Don. I said, listen, I don't feel right. Let's go see our primary care doctor. And so she was able to set up an appointment. We went and saw him and I uh, told him, I said, yeah, I just feel like I got some kind of anemia. I just need some lab work, find out what's going on. So he, so he gave me a script for lab work, but good for him is that he actually said, we'll come back later in the afternoon and we'll do a stress test on the, on the treadmill. And I said, that's fine. So we went and shopped. Donna loves the shop. So we were at Costco and I joke about it now, thinking about it later. She's running around shopping. I'm sitting down in the furniture. They're selling furniture. We're just reading magazines like an old, like an old man, you know, just sitting there reading it. And because I couldn't keep up with her, you know, walking around. And I'm now I'm still in my fire rescue uniform with this is going on. So we go back to uh, um, the treadmill test at, you know, four in the afternoon. And, and I literally only lasted maybe two minutes before I started seeing problems with the EKG and everything else. So at that point, he thought I was having a heart attack or something worse and, um, you know, called the e emergency doctor there and, and actually got me in. We went to the ER that night or later in the afternoon and um, I signed, he thought I was having chest pains. I said I was going in there for a heart attack or pulmonary embolism, which, you know, got me up to the front of the line. Um, so they did all their blood work and everything. And, you know, of course, the ER doctor's thinking I'm having a heart attack. So he's going down that road. And of course, everything looks normal, you know, on the outside when I'm sitting there. Um, about an hour or two later, he comes back in with the news for the for the blood work, uh, which was pretty horrible. And at that point, you know, then it's like I had enough information from all the experience I had with healthcare, as far as knowing that when he told me all the the, the values for the hemoglobin and the white blood cells and the platelets, they were all like horribly low. Uh, so when he said that, I knew that this. It was going to either be some type of you know leukemia or something else i knew it was i knew it wasn't going to be good um so the take home for this for me and this is probably goes on with the rest of the discussion is just how fast this whole thing just turned your life upside down really quickly because we were on this course to you know finish nurse practitioner take the board exams retire from firefighting and start nurse practitioner and do some traveling that was the goal um, and so it, literally with a snap of a finger, all of a sudden there's the uh, MD Anderson doctor comes in later and pretty much tells me that, you know, after I got five units of blood and platelets and everything else, it says, you know, you're going to be admitted for at least 30 days and you start chemo tonight. And I was like, yeah, and it was, uh, then it was like game on at that point. So it, it was uh, quite a shock to the system. And I think one of my fire guys was asking me, you know, what is it like? And I said, and I guess, you know, kind of goes like to the computer and the old control alt delete and you reboot your computer. You have that kind of that time where it's kind of rebooting. And I think that's the process for me was this. You can't get your mind around it. Uh, it's just like you hear people talking, but you're not really processing. You're just you're in a kind of a state of, of disbelief uh, for that, especially somebody like myself. I mean, very active, you know, physically fit. And then all of a sudden this is just just totally changes your universe and long-term plans, short-term plans, everything just gets totally kind to a ground halt pretty much from that.
you know, I guess the best thing is like you're in shock because you just don't expect it. It comes right out of the blue, not like something that was like indolent, just lasting there for like months and months. You know, you're feeling bad for months and months. It wasn't like that. It was like I felt great. And actually before that, Don and I took some vacation time in May and uh, went to a trip to North Carolina. And we were fine. We're hiking up and down hills. I mean, no, no symptoms whatsoever. So then here you go. This is July. Uh, what was it? July. 20 you're diagnosed yeah july 20th july 20th yeah she she knows dates like rain man so um so yeah so july 20th so really it's been just i don't know a year and change um you know since this this happened so really may and june i was fine you know if i had to think maybe sometime in july i started feeling fatigued but um again i was blaming that on studying and working and you know all these things because you know, so I was paying guys back. So that means I was working 48 hours in a row. So, you know, yeah, I'm tired. That's a big, good reason for it. Um, but again, the real symptoms were about, again, like maybe a week before I got admitted. So that's how fast this stuff moves. And you were studying medicine. So at the same time, you understood what you were seeing. Right. Yeah. I and mean, that was one of the things with, when they come in and tell me the results, um, the big medical term is called pancytopenia, which just means your blood, your white blood cells are low, platelets are low, and, and the red blood cells were low. And there's only like a couple of things that cause that. So I knew enough that sometimes if you know too much, it's bad, but I knew enough to know that this was not good. It was going to be some type of, uh, you know, aplastic anemia or leukemia. Uh, so when um, the, uh, now Donna was able to, um, because it, like I was saying at the time, your, your, your brain really is a pride process enough to know that this isn't good and, you know, things don't look right. But at the same time, your mind just can't wrap around it. Donna was able to uh, call and find out, make sure I had a consult with MD Anderson, which I didn't know about at the time. I, you know, honestly, I just tried to get my mind around it. And, um, and so the MD Anderson happened, the guy that was on call for MD Anderson uh, for the ER that night, his subspecialty happened to be leukemia. It was just the irony, and it just, you know, just got lucky. Um, so he came in and told me, he says, he goes, yeah, that, you know, he goes, I'm 90% sure I know what you have, um, but you're going to start chemo right now. We're not going to wait. Later on through, you know, during the process of chemo treatment, uh, you know, I was told, he told me that, you know, if I didn't come in, I had probably had maybe one, one week, maybe two weeks left. It was it was that low, so I compensated for it pretty good. But you know, again, if I would have waited another week, I would have been one week too late. So um, wow. so I, I applaud her for being able to get, you know, MD Anderson on board, uh, which is well, Peter. Scary. You have a really yeah, you have a really um, rare form of acute leukemia. You have APL, and we encourage everybody. Um, that has a blood cancer diagnosis or thinks that they have a blood cancer diagnosis to get a second opinion. Um, just because the blood cancers aren't as common as other cancers. And I don't know, Donna, how did you know to, you know, really encourage Peter to get a second opinion? Well, um, July 20th, when he was admitted, um, it was, like I said, the, the ER it was just such a blur. I remember just looking at my watch, you know, every hour and 
of course, you know, he was on the stretcher waiting a lot for results to come back. And meanwhile, our three daughters from Pensacola were coming in and they got there around 11 o'clock at night. One of them did. The others were like three in the morning. They were crying. So, you know, I'm trying to console them. And then I'm thinking, okay, I need to go home. So I went home and then I, I was told, okay, Pete, you know, needs to, um, I, well, we got again with MD Anderson being my father's a physician in Jacksonville, Florida here for 40 years. And my, I remember my dad saying, you know, six months ago that they arrived here and, you know, we, we got to get them. So over the phone, I did this while I was home because, you know, a lot happens and we're 50, almost an hour from the hospital from where MD Anderson is in Jacksonville to where we live. So I remember just calling on the ER nurse saying who is in charge of my husband, Peter. And luckily I got this nurse and she's like, you want a second opinion? I said, yes, I do. And I went with MD Anderson and she was like, really right now? I mean, this other group has already come in to see your husband, put the business card, you know, on the table there in the ER. I didn't see any of this because I, like I said I was back home and I'm like, yes, right now I want MD Anderson to follow my husband. And luckily they did that. They didn't know me from Adam. You know, I never introduced myself before I left the ER because I didn't know all this was going to happen and go down while I'm in my home for just, you know, a few hours. And um, so luckily, you know, when I got back to the hospital, they had seen him and um, I just knew in the back of my mind, you know, MD Anderson, that's where I want my. And how did you find out that he had cancer? when the ER doctor came in there? Yeah, when he came in and told me the results, um, you know, I looked over at Donna and I said, I said, this isn't good. Before that, I was thinking maybe I was just, you know, bleeding somewhere. But when he told me the other data, I'm like, okay, this is most likely some form of leukemia. And that's what I mentioned to Donna. And so then, of course, the next thing out of the ER doctor is he's saying that you need to have a hematology oncology consult. So I knew enough when you hear the word oncology, you kind of know what, what that means it's like okay that's cancer and um and then you know then you're kind of you know like for i'm glad that she was able to have the foresight to do that because for me in the er you're just it's almost like you get that information and you're you kind of go into kind of a shock mode where people are talking but you're not processing i mean they're saying things like i, I mean i didn't really even process the fact that this guy the first uh, rheumatology oncology, I mean, hematology oncology that came in was from somewhere else. I had no idea. I mean, I didn't even know, you know, it was just, and uh, so it was good to have, you know, Donna, I mean, it had been better that she wasn't there at the time to make the phone call and, and you know, because uh, you're not wound up in the whole ER experience. Because I was in the ER for about, what, 18 hours or mm -hmm, something? Right. So um, before they actually had a room for me. The next step, of course, he's saying you're going to start chemo tonight. You're going to be in the hospital for at least 30 days and um, well, you can't leave. And then you're and um, then you got 13 months of extra chemo after that. So all the plans that you had as far as retiring and all of that just totally changed. And, you're, you know, and I'm still in my uniform. I'm like, like this is this, this can't be real. I mean, I'm sitting here, just got off work and all of a sudden I'm going to be in the hospital for 30 days. So uh, that's the kind of kind of wildness that you deal with with this stuff so mm -hmm. right wow. and as a patient being told that you have cancer is one thing but then as a loved one watching someone being told that they have cancer is a whole different experience so at that moment Donna how are you emotionally <laughs> a basket case if that 
like I said, I came home just to shower and get some clothes for Pete. Like, you know, he wasn't going to be wearing those in a gown, but that's another thing. He wouldn't put a gown on <laughs> the whole 30 days. He wore his shorts and he said, I'm not going to be a patient. And I'm not sick. Oh yeah. That was like, whoa. Um, but I came home and cried. I mean, like I said, I had 50 minutes in the car to drive home and cry. And I was like, this can't be happening. I mean, I, I barely even heard of leukemia. I didn't really know. I mean, his, your friend on your street had died of leukemia, but it was a kid. I, I didn't know adults. You know, like I said, I, I, I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't want to look on the computer. I had just, I just came home and cried. I mean, I had nobody here with me. All the kids were at the hospital and I don't even think I told my parents yet. I mean, I just wanted time to say, I have, you know, what I'm not working. Pete's the you know, sole provider. What am I going to do? What, what, I, you, you know, you don't know what to do. I barely just could get clothes together, take a shower, go back to the hospital again. And then, you know, just with the nurses here and the test and running this and, Oh, you know, you finally just right. try to wrap your head around it. And, um, you know, the kids were crying and the girls and, you know, it just, I was mainly just girls. It's okay. It's all right. You know, and uh, we'll get through this. And it wasn't until maybe like you were admitted up onto the floor, then, you know, we more people from MD Anderson would be coming in and things were looking a little more clear, but I would say the first couple of days, uh, I, I didn't know what to do. You know, I mean, I could get in a truck and drive there and get there safely and come home. I was a wreck. You know, so. Yeah, it, yeah. it definitely messes with you pretty bad. And, yeah. and, you know, as far as, you know, then for me, I'm sitting there thinking, you know, okay, so all of a sudden you're like, okay, I'm definitely probably not going to retire. Um, I got to figure out what to do for income because because the retirement insurance changes. So we can't just now insurance becomes a big driver for this because this is not going to be cheap, uh, this treatment. And um, regardless of what kind of chemo you're getting, it's going to be extremely expensive. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting there and I'm, you know, calling up the people at the you know fire admin, tell them what's going on. So we could, you know, do all this um, FMLA leave and all the, you know, all the little administrative things that has to happen, but you know, your mind isn't right. So, you, you know, you're lucky that you have people that, you know, at least from fire, from the fire department, I have to admit the guys, you know, up from top to bottom have been really great as far as, you know, helping you out. Cause it's like, I don't know what I need to do. So they have to bring paperwork in for you to sign for FMLA. And, and then there's like a union time pool leave. So it could extend your hours. So you're getting paid without burning up all of your leave time. All those little administrative things on top of the fact that you're, you know, getting a pick line and getting hooked up to. Well, that was the other thing. The, the treatment for so it's, it's kind of like a sidebar as far as APL, which is sort of, you know, it's good news in that, you know, they figured out, you know, like a really great treatment, pro, you know, you know, process for this stuff. But the treatment's very unique. And, and um, when you tell people what you're getting, they, they kind of freak out. You know, you tell them, well, it's one is it's basically vitamin A at toxic levels, and then the other is arsenic, and you know, so you know, it's just like, you know, but it, it's got a great curate, um, which is great news. Which what um, after they did the bone marrow biopsy, that's what you know the the physician told me. He was like, he goes, I got great news for you. Well, he says, this is what did he say? He said, well, this is the second best news you'll have. First would be, would have been never seeing him. Mm -hmm. And then the, the, the second was yep. being diagnosed. With, yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll take the second, <laughs> second best thing. So, um, and uh, so, yeah, so that, you know, it looks good. I mean, again, right now we're at this juncture where you want to get through the first year clean, you know, and, and so you're still a little bit nervous about that. 
but you know, as far as the stress goes, that whole first 30 days in the hospital was, was crazy. Cause a, I don't even think you've got to the point where you fully understood what's going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, three, you know, because the hospital and the nurses and the doctors go into what, you know, it's like do mode. They're, they're doing, they're sticking you with needles. They're, you know, pumping chemicals in you and doing all these things. So yet you're sitting there and just letting them do these things. And then you can't really figure out what exactly what's going on. And it's that whole rebooting of your brain. And it does, you're kind of numbed out for mm-hmm. it. Donna, so while this is all happening and he's, you know, going through his tests and he's, you know, doing what he has to do, as a caregiver, how did you find yourself saying, okay, instead of kind of wallowing my emotion, I have to actively be this caregiver? After a while, this is going to be the new normal for a while. And I just had a routine. I just, I'm a very routine person and that's what gets me through the day is just at this time, I'm going to do this, this time I'm going to do this. Um, when I sometimes at first I would like walk in the room, I'd see him, you know, his back was to me in the bed and I like, okay, I don't know if I can do this. So I'd walk out of the room. I'd walk actually down to the library. They had a library at the end of the hall, trying to find some information on APL or, you know, just whatever, nothing. I mean, there was nothing down there. And then, yeah, this, it gets back to, you know, that would have been nice to have some more information on APL. Cause then I could have understood it. I could have come home at night and, you know, read it instead of crying and it's going to be okay. You just kind of went on what the doctors and the nurses would tell you about it. It's a good one. There's the 95% cure rate. I kept thinking that, oh, this is good. This is cool. You know, Pete's going to survive this. This is all right. But still, you know, the, the, the stuff he had to go through and every time they'd hang an arsenic bag, you know, and then the severe side effects that Pete got, that, that was tough watching him you know, that was worse actually than the chemo is the dealing with the side effects of, of all that. And um, so I, I tried to, at that point, you know, Google about it, get more proactive about just trying to understand it. Well, to... one, of the, one of the things that yeah, it's kind of, it's weird when it, cause what Donna does, you know, for her side hustle, if you will, is, is she actually does your caregiving for elderly folks. So she's used to doing it, but it makes it different when it's actually somebody in your family or your husband, obviously. So it's like a total different thing that, you know, you've got an emotional right. attachment. It's a lot harder, mm-hmm. harder to deal with. And, and, um, and, 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 you know, I can only look at it from the patient side and it, I know from the caregiver side, it's totally different, but, you know, you get to a point where you're probably not being your best self when you're going through this treatment, you know, cause usually I'm pretty joking around and, and fun, but you know, after a while, you know, the side effects and the fatigue and, you know, you're just getting beat down. And so you're not the most agreeable person. And I think that's kind of hard on the caregivers and, you know, it's like, well, yeah, this isn't normally, he's not usually this crabby or, or whatnot, you know, and, uh, Donna, was he crabby? He was very crabby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not all the time. But I mean, <laughs> Back up to Donna. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so I wanted to walk down the hall with him, and the nurses wanted him to put a mask on, and he would not do that, and that made me mad because I didn't want him to catch something. You know, we're just walking down the hall. I mean, it, it, now I know Donna that one of our biggest um, goals at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society is to. Um, make sure that we're there for patients once they're diagnosed. And I know that you didn't meet the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society um, at the beginning of uh, Pete's journey. Uh, 
what other supports did you have and what supports really did you think would really help you when he was first diagnosed? Um, I didn't see anybody, like I said, from the Leukemia Society. I mean, the entire time we were there, uh, not even a social worker. I mean, the nurses or what, that was it. And then just me Googling it. And I would love to have known there was an online chat. I would have been on there that night. You know what I mean? Um, that was, oh, when I look back. That would have been helpful just to have the links like, oh, if you know, if you have this, log on to there, you know. You're tired. So it's almost like somebody has to like put it in front of you uh, or, or there's something in front of you like, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, here it is. Because it's not like you're you're thinking to ask about it, because um, you're you're into the daily grind of getting chemo and this and that, and and you're in you know the thinking about what you're going to do. So there's no one's presenting it to you, um, and so you're almost on your own to try to find it, and and uh, that which is I guess you know and again this is all retrospective after the fact you, you know you start thinking about it um, that would have been nice to have um, at the time, but yeah, but no one's presenting that to you. It's no, like if the no. nurses and they're busy, they got other it's, things going on. So they give you your specific, here's a printout on APL and you read all this, you know, it's like, you know, like a medical journal I'm looking at. It. Yeah, I get it. And, um, but, uh, you know, there isn't anything like, as far as that other support, um, now there was like the chaplains and people the would come in and talk the to you. we call every day, yeah. Would, uh, and yeah, that was it. nice, but yeah. again, it wasn't yeah. like, like, you know, you want to kind of drill in a little bit more. Um, and that just wasn't there. Social support is so important, especially with how many people actually use online resources and have those resources readily available to them. LLS Community is an online platform that allows patients and caregivers to speak candidly with one another and get support from those in similar situations. We encourage our listeners to visit www.lls.org forward slash community to learn more about this resource. And MD Anderson, like I said, they would have a group, a posse that would come in every morning, the oncologist, and you'd get two nurse practitioners. And I just expected one of them being that they see, you know, at MD Anderson, they go back over to the building here, have some information on this or APL, you know, they just kept saying it's, it's a good cure rate. That's all we kept hearing. And so I'm like, okay, that kind of in my mind, I kept, Think, processing that well I, I guess I don't really need to know anymore other than you know it's it's a good one he's gonna but no no it's so much more than that it's the like for the caregiver it's the support it's how are you Donna no one asked how I was doing the entire time it's my husband was always taken care of always he had a nurse at his beck and call when I wasn't there he needed something it was, but me like it's 50% of the equation, you know, is, is the caregiver and no one understands that it's such a vital role to have a good caregiver. The stress level was just so intense. Life had to go on. I mean, I had to put bills in here. I had to take care of the house and you know, we had, did have people come and cut the grass, but still there's a lot to do in the house here. And people, the fire guys did say, Hey, you know, we can help you cut the grass or we can bring Pete meals. And I was appreciative of that. That was, that was very nice. You know, that, helped us get through it and it took his mind off his problems because they came in every day if not every day every other day and brought their little kid my little girl that came in she was three years old looked out the water I mean yeah he liked that that was nice um yeah because... the, the other thing with this as far as the treatment goes it makes it a little more I mean again because every chemo regiment's different 
Now this one, because he, you know, first he told me it was going to be 13 months after the induction phase and you know and, and then um then i was like oh that's a whole year of this misery and but then he get then he, what he did is he compressed it to eight months but what that meant was i'd have 20 days on monday through friday four hour chemo every day and then, and then the pills were like every 14 days and on top of that so there was like and that's like for 20 days in a row driving an, an hour you know to you know each way because we, we were talking about maybe we need to like live somewhere you know you know with her folks or whatever and you know just after a while i said i don't want to you know i need to have some kind of normalcy so that put an enormous amount of strain but you know the fire guys would come up the one one of the guys set up a driving schedule and you know that made it easier because there's a lot of stuff has to happen at the house you know that donna's trying to do plus worrying about me you know going to to the uh chemo every day you know it's which is uh tremendous I think that, you know, with, um, with like Don, I think that like caregivers, I think if you look, I'm just kind of talking ahead as far as like, like we do the chats and stuff now. And if in the caregiver chats always full and with lots of people, um, and, and she really likes it. And I think that would have been, you know, just having that information, like right then and there that she could have logged on and said, Oh my God, I'm going my husband this, just, yeah, would have been great, great for her. And, and, um, you know, where, yeah, again, yeah. it's like at the time when you're going through it, you're not thinking of these things no, no. at all because it doesn't even cross your mind. Um, but that would be my my take home as far as like for the society, leukemia society or mm -hmm. breast cancer, all those mm -hmm. folks would be to, to get with, especially the, you know, the oncology type hospitals. Right. And, you know, say like, you know, have something wherever there's a, an area where the patient's family congregate, usually a break room or a library or something like that, which would have all of that stuff really, you know, visible, you know, not hidden in a drawer or something, but mm -hmm. pretty visible for, for everybody to see um, would be beneficial because the, the, you know, the doctor and his entourage come in and it's all just clinical stuff. It's all mm -hmm. just medicine. Like, okay, your blood counts are here and this is this. Going over your labs yeah, and, and test and, and, and all sorts of wild stuff was going. I remember that I got the cough. Yeah, it was, yeah, you know, just so they're all about the medicine and, and how you're progressing and, you know, and everything else. So they don't really talk about any real, emo there's not, I mean, this is typical of medicine in general, not just, you know, for cancer. I think it's typical mm -hmm. that it's all kind of business, not really talking about emotional support issues or, mm -hmm. or anything like that. They, you know, they kind of send you to maybe a, a social worker or a chaplain or somebody talk about that. But as far as the daily grind, Nah, it was all about, mm -hmm. you know, what Nothing. the levels were and, you know, something would spike and, and be worried about that for a while. So there's always something going on in the hospital that was causing them some mm -hmm. degree of concern, which really ended up being nothing, but it was, you know, fun going through it. Right. <laughs> yeah. But. So Donna, actually, in a New York Times article that was written this month, um, it focused on caregivers and the emotional and physical issues that they experienced, stating that along with the abandoned career, the hands-on tasks, the medical scheduling, the insurance tussles, and the disrupted sleep, another trial that develops is social isolation. Now, I know that you mentioned that the materials weren't readily available, but did you experience family you know, being uninvolved or friends disappearing? Um, family, being that my, well, my parents are in their 80s, so, you know, I, I but it's about a seven mile drive from their house to MD Anderson. Um, there wasn't a lot of that. They did call and say, how's Pete doing? Um, I, I felt a little bit more could have 
you know, happened. I have two sisters that live in Jacksonville and maybe once out of the whole 30 days he was in there, they'd come to visit him. Uh, but, you know, they would text or call me and I'd say, yeah, you know, he's doing as best as he can. Um, but a, you know, the firefighters by far were the most helpful. And, uh, and that was pretty much though in January that started Mm -hmm. uh, taking, getting a schedule up and, and taking them. Peter did have a lady from the American Cancer Society that drove him to help us out once a week. Because um, I remember uh, I thought, God, there's got to be somebody can help with the driving here. And, um, you know, then she had to stop doing it because she didn't feel well. And so, but I did it from July to December, you know, going each day. But I mean, I, I, I can't imagine not. I, yes, that was my life. You know, it also kind of helped a little bit, you know, later, you know, and some of the neighbors would come by and stuff. Family-wise, I mean, like for me, all my family is not, well, they're either deceased or they're, my sister's in Cleveland. They were only able to come down once. And, um, you know, again, once, it's almost like once it's, everybody's kind of involved, the fire guys did help out. You know, that was the main thing. So Otherwise, I, I would agree with that um, article that you're saying is that, you know, once it kind of tamps down and you're into that consolidation phase of the treatment, you know, yeah, you know, nobody's around, you know, you're all kind of on your own. Yeah. And, um, and, and, you know, and, and of course you're dumping more on, uh, you know, on the caregiver, you know, cause you're not feeling up to doing anything. So are there any resources that are lacking for you guys now that you would, that you would like to see? I'm sitting here now almost in the exact same mode as I was when I got diagnosed. I'm sitting here, I'm working. Um, I'm taking my board exams again, so they I had to cancel them and postpone them. So they're coming up in, in another two weeks, and um, something is like deja. I'm, at some point, I'm saying it's deja vu all over again. I'm thinking, oh my God, am I getting tired again? It's going to go through this. Yeah, again. anytime he gets tired, he's like, oh Lord, it's coming back. You know, we have yeah, to you, worry about you, that. Like, there's oh. it changes you. It changes yeah. you. I mean, so you start worrying about things that you wouldn't normally worry about. But as far as resources go, I think the Donna's got the most utility out of the online. Forums. I love the she caregiver really chat every stuff. Monday. I never miss it ever. And um, <laughs> everything else is scheduled around that. And then the caregiver one, I log on, I gave him the computer, I said, here. And one night he was really, he didn't feel well. So I'm tight. And I said, just talk, talk, I'll type. But uh, in fact, we're going to meet one of the guys who's coming to West Palm Beach. He was just got into being a remission and he, his doctor gave him the okay. So we're going to meet up at a Cracker Barrel here in St. Augustine. So excited to see him. Yeah, I, I think that that's that, awesome. Yeah, that is <laughs> that is cool. Real nice. Yeah, I think that's probably been the best thing for yeah. you. And I think if you would have had that earlier oh, in the process, it that would have been, been a lot so better for much your better. emotional. And Kai Marie and Carrie are wonderful. I compliment them every week how wonderful they are as moderators. But I mean, people will enter the room and this is their first, their husband just was diagnosed or their wife was just diagnosed the day before. And so we're like, oh, we'll help you. And so like 30 minutes of the program is dedicated to them and make sure you this and make, and I, they need to say, oh, thank you guys. I don't know what I would have done without this. And I'm thinking, I, I, let me tell you, I'll tell you what was, I did a whole couple, you know, a year not knowing about this. So definitely the chats are hundred percent, you know, helpful, wonderful. We know what you're going through. Let's chat with each other. Our live weekly online chats provide a friendly forum to share experiences and chat with others about everything from the initial phase of diagnosis to treatment and survivorship. 
Our chats are for patients and caregivers. You can find us online at www.lls.org forward slash chat. What else did you do to take care of yourself? Because people always say, you know, you are a caregiver, you're taking care of your loved one, but how can you take care of your loved one if you're not taking care of yourself? Right. That's true. Um, a routine, just getting into a routine. When your friends would take you in the morning, I would walk around the neighborhood or I would bike or I would go shopping or I would do something. It was always me. I made sure there was me time for me. I would go to a movie on Tuesday and then I would go and see Pete at the hospital. But I, after a while, you're right. I'm like, listen, I'm, I'm looking like hell right now. I'm not feeling good. This isn't, something's got to change. So I would just come home and I would say, okay, you know, every hour I'm going to do something. I'm going to get up. I'm going to do this. Pete's going to survive this. It's okay. You say, you know, he's, it's, this is a positive thing. He's going to get through this. And then, you know, you just go out with friends or, you know, I, I did it. I don't know how, but I did it. But, uh, surviving. But, and, but kind of following along on that, I mean, basically, you know, it's respite care and, um, you know, for the caregiver. And, and that's, if we didn't have the, you know, my fire friends taking me, I like yeah. there are other people, oh, yeah. let's say like a different situation, you know, that other people will be going through this alone. Um, that would be to me a big thing that the society could, could help with. I mean, yeah. we were lucky cause I had all those you know, right. folks to take me and it gives you that time during right. the day that you can kind of relax, take a nap or do whatever you mm -hmm. wanted to do. Right. Um, but if other folks that don't have that, um, I could see that that would really, especially if they're going through the type of regime that I did, which mm -hmm. was like this 20 days, you're somewhere, you know, and, and you know, this every day kind of a grind, um, that would be helpful. If there's mm -hmm. something like that available, whether it's like the society working through other groups, mm -hmm. you know, that are mm -hmm. other like, you know, caregiver, oh, yeah. caregiver for the caregiver kind of a thing. Right. Um, sure. That would help out. Yeah. And not everyone is an hour away from their place of treatment. You know, that was a, that was a decision that we made. And, um, but yeah, the driving just got real. In fact, I broke down on I-95 one night and ended up in a very bad section of town. I had to call the cops and they came and sat with me while my truck was towed. And um, yeah, they, had, they took me back to the hospital and spent the night there. Mm -hmm. And that was the next day you had that fourth bone marrow biopsy. So that was. Yeah, that was a crazy time. She calls me that. up on the side of the road and I'm like, in, you know, hooked up to a drip. <laughs> I don't know what am I going to do? You know, so I ended up, we ended up calling the fire guys and, and I told you to call the cops so you don't get robbed. But then uh, we ended up uh, calling one of our guys. He drove an hour. To get me. And uh, I actually, you know, told the guy, the tow, tow guy, that, which he actually knew the guy, ironically. And so they towed it to his house and he actually fixed the truck for us. Mm -hmm. um, but then drove us mm -hmm. back to the hospital and slept on the, on the, what, the couch. couch there. So, right. Um, right. But yeah, it, it's, it, but if you didn't have that type of support, it could really, it would have strained it a lot worse so, than it was. It's a total different perspective at this point. And right. what would you tell others that, you know, are going to be diagnosed tomorrow with APL from both well, a patient uh, standpoint and the caregiver standpoint. <laughs> from the patient standpoint, I'd have to, I, I still can't beat uh, Dr. Gorak's comment, but it's the second best news you're going to have if you got APL. I mean, at least it is curable. You're, they're going to yeah. give you rat poison, but you'll, you might, you might survive this. And um, I think the thing that I would tell people though is, is, um, 
you know, it's almost like a, like the horse is out of the barn when you have it. It's like really understand your body and know when to really get checked because this stuff really goes fast. And, um, yeah, that was my kind of, you know, after, after going through it and thinking about it, like, man, I could have easily, you know, if we didn't, I could have easily struck this out another, another week or two and, and, and not have been that. Yeah. Um, so you just gotta really pay attention, uh, to your health. Um, but yeah, somebody else is going through it. It's like, it's tough because it's like, you know, it's going to totally, and you, you know, they may not realize it, but it's going to totally turn your life upside down, but it doesn't mean it, you know, it's all bad. I mean, you're going to, you're going to recover from it, but you just have to be flexible in the process. And that's hard to do when you're really like, like us, we have plans. It's, you know, mm. um, plans are great <laughs> until something like this happens. <laughs> and then it's like, Oh, there's no plan for this. You just, you don't really have a plan for it. It, it. You just have to kind of, you know, organically deal with it. And, and, um, and having the help and support as much as you can from whether if you have the family and friends support, that's great. Uh, if you don't have it, then, then definitely, you know, log in or find, you know, this, you know, like the societies and stuff that will do it. Yeah, I was going to say from a caregiver's point of view, from day one, when you find out you your loved one has APL, you know, when you get up on the floor there, ask the nurse, say, listen, I need some information about APL. Can you get a social worker to come in here? Somebody, I mean, these nurses see it day in and day out, you know, and just say, yeah, I can get you someone up here to talk and then just say, listen, I have help or I don't have help and I don't. So let me pair you up with somebody who's been through this. Like, you get out and at least maybe go get your nails done or let's go to a movie, just something to get you out of there for an hour or two. Then you'll feel refreshed enough to go back to the room and deal with, you know, what you have to deal with. Um, but that APL is curable. It, you know, as long as you stick to the regimen and you do what the doctors say, they need me time for sure. And you can have all that even if you don't have help, you can still have me time. You just need to get friends together and say, listen, especially if they have to travel like we did, get a schedule going. Say, can you help drive my husband here? How many times? Circulate it. You know, be, don't be afraid to say, I need help. And, and that's what a lot of people, you know, they just take it upon themselves and it eats you up. And, you know, you can get sick yourself from it. And, and that's, you know, and we didn't, our kids are all in Pensacola. They're six hours from here. And we can't ask them to come here. And, and the kids go, how's dad doing? I'm like, oh, he's not doing, I'm thinking to myself, he's not doing good this week. But I can't say that to them because they'll get in the car and immediately come and they've got jobs. And then I worry about them being upset on the interstate driving six hours. So I was like, your dad's fine. Oh, we got it under control, girls. You know, but deep down, it would have been nice to have the company. You know, but I, I turned to neighbors. I turned to, and thank God for the fire department. I'll say they were awesome, awesome. And they got us through this. Yeah. Because if they weren't bringing lunch to him, they were cutting our grass or, you know, they were whatever, you know. I mean, it was just anything you want. And they still, is there anything we can do? And I would say, yeah, we do. I do need this. I do. I was not being afraid to say what I needed. And, um, but it took a while to get there. Yeah. And I'm glad that you're taking part in on, in our online chats because yes. they do provide a forum for oh, yes. a lot of patients and caregivers that may not be able to go out and meet each other face to face. Maybe their mm -hmm. blood counts are low. Maybe they are in the hospital. So I think it's a great way to meet people. And I encourage both of you um, to be part of our peer to peer program where you can speak to newly diagnosed patients mm -hmm. as well as mm -hmm. caregivers of patients who have just been diagnosed that don't feel that they have that support. A lot of times, Peter, you're right. Your treatment team will come in 
and they will talk to you about blood counts. They'll talk to you about how you're doing with your medication. Um, but part of that, I think what you really brought out is the importance of talking about support, talking about um, your entire life, meaning, you know, talking to you about how is the transportation affecting you? Um, do you need help with all these forms that you're filling out? You're not feeling well, but you have 50 forms to fill out for different insurance. Um, so a lot of people don't talk about that. And I'm glad that you're bringing that to the surface today because people need to know that they're not the only ones dealing with it. They're, they're not the only ones feeling overwhelmed because it's an overwhelming process. But at the same time, here you are a year later, you're about to take your tests to be a nurse practitioner and uh, life has gone on for you and, and you struggled, but I think you're a lot stronger at the same time. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. it hardens you up. That's for sure. Um, but it, and it's you know this goes to show what you can actually endure mm -hmm. uh, when you when you, you don't realize it until you're actually put under the test. Um, yeah, I would agree with that uh, completely. Um, you know, yeah. We kind of endured. I mean, it's it's not over yet. I mean, there's all sorts of residual stuff, but you sort of get to used to it, and you know it's like okay, yeah, these are just residual side effects that are just going to be the way it is, and um, and you're you're okay with it. And uh, you just kind of, for me, it's just to uh, get focused and get back on track and, you know, but, and then again, not sweat the small stuff and, you know, you want to go vacation, go on vacation. Mm -hmm. Still got to go to Costa Rica, but you know, I got to get back and surf and shape and we'll go there. <laughs> <laughs> That's on the list. It will happen. <laughs> and we want pictures, but it does. <laughs> oh, yeah. On the LLS. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we'd like to thank you guys so much for joining us today. We love hearing how well um, you're doing, Peter and Donna. We commend you and how great and diligent you were when you were caring for Peter. Um, we hope others will hear your story and be motivated to be their best advocate and you know put their best foot forward. And we wish you both well and the best of luck, Pete, on uh, on your board exams. We, we want to hear how well you do when when it's all done. <laughs> uh, the pressure, the pressure's on now. I'm gonna study. <laughs> <laughs> one year remission next Tuesday, the 15th. This is one year remission anniversary. Oh, that's Woo! Yep. Excited, yeah. That is great. great. That is absolutely great. Thank you guys so much. All right, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Bloodline with LLS. We can be found on iTunes and other great podcatchers. You can subscribe at www.thebloodline.org. Be sure to check out our archive section on our website for previous podcasts. Be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. Keep up with LLS by following us on Twitter at LLSUSA and Facebook at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Until next time.